Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, April 9th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Fred Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. So we got some news to catch up on. We haven't had a news episode in over a week and a half. So let's start with uh, Rich Moore, the director of Wreck-It Ralph and the co-director of Zootopia. We learned yesterday that he is leaving Disney. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, Rich Moore, he's he's a legend in the animation field. He, he's worked on The Simpsons, and as Peter said, he did Wreck-It Ralph, Zootopia, uh, you know, t- big titles like that. And he's he's leaving Disney. He's leaving Disney behind for Sony Pictures Animation, where he's going to be developing, producing, and directing original animated features, uh, as well as acting in an advisory capacity for ongoing projects. So he's he's uh, going to have like a big role over there at Sony Pictures Animation. Seems like a, a bigger role than he's had at Disney, at least. So yeah, he's got that know, going for him. At, at Disney, he was actually part of that story trust, like the big story trust at Walt Disney Animation. And I know John Lasseter brought him in. Uh, many years ago for Wreck-It Ralph was what, like to, to basically p- 
hit uh, like come in and do a video game kind of movie idea. And uh, now that Lasseter's not there, I'm wondering if that has anything to do with us, or maybe maybe it just has to do with uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I mean, looking at that movie, th- th- that did so many things for the medium of animation and was so exciting. Like, I, I feel like if I was at Disney, I would be looking across, you know, the street and seeing the grass greener on the other side. Brad, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, as long as Sony Pictures Animation is willing to keep making movies that are a little bit more innovative and outside of the normal kind of uh, animation that you see geared towards general audiences, then maybe that studio is starting to look more appealing than Disney, who kind of has, you know, some guidelines, if you will, as to how they like their stories to be. And even the animation style, they don't really step too far out of you know, what's already been established over there. It's it's rare that we you see something that is as interesting or uh, vibrant or, um, you know, aesthetically unique as Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So if he sees an opportunity there to do something that is outside of what he's been doing for the past 10 years, then, you know, why, why wouldn't you? It's going to be interesting to see what is going to be coming from Disney animation after what we know. I mean, what we know right now is like Frozen 2, um, some sequels like that. Uh, so, you know, we were anticipating a Zootopia sequel, especially because, you know, they're building a Zootopia land in one of the, the Disney park resorts. But now with uh, more not there, I guess his uh, co-director would have to do that without him if that actually happens. But D23 happens later this uh, summer. So we'll look forward to that and see if there's any announcements on the future of Walt Disney Animation. Um, Let's move on to another parting of the ways. And this one, Brad, I know came uh, kind of as a shock to you. This is uh, Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. They are ending their production partnership. What do we know? Yeah, this is a bit of a bummer to me. Um, Over the weekend, um, Adam McKay and Will Ferrell made a joint announcement that Uh, They would slowly be winding down their production label, Gary Sanchez Productions, which has had uh, a deal over at uh, Paramount Pictures for a number of years now. um, The company has been around for 13 years. Um, It was formed after McKay and Farrell had such great success with the first Anchorman and Talladega Nights. And, you know, uh, those movies were um, on the strength of the comedic, you know, friendship that had blossomed since they both started at Saturday Night Live. They were both hired on the same day, uh, McKay as a writer and Farrell as a cast member. And since then, they've become really great friends, great partners in comedy. And so now after all this time, they're uh, just winding it down because they're basically taking their careers in just different directions. Adam McKay you know, recently has been digging into more uh, kind of award-centric fare with movies like The Big Short and Vice, movies that have some of his uh, sharp satirical style, but are a far cry from the kinds of comedies he used to make with Will Ferrell. And Will Ferrell is still, you know, um, just having a good time making, making big studio comedies and enjoying that side of thing with some indie work on the side. And it just seems like they're both going in different directions now, which is totally fine. And there's no bad blood between them either. It's not, this isn't a situation where they're bitter about anything. They're still super close friends. Uh, they, be, they even said that they, will you know uh, work together again in the future but this seems to be more of just a i guess a practical business decision because i'm sure it was kind of hard to reconcile you know producing and working on such drastically different kinds of movies 
uh, at least from Adam McKay's perspective, while his production company was still churning out comedies both on on film and television. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Uh, let's move on to our next story. This one's kind of interesting. We've been talking a lot lately about Netflix. Uh, we've heard that they you know, are trying to do stuff in the theatrical space. Exhibitors don't want to allow them to go day and date with their original programming, their original films. And they've discussed uh, possibly buying theater chains. And we haven't really heard you know, any deals in that area, but today... We heard that they Netflix is planning to buy Hollywood's Egyptian Theater, you know, one one of the classic theaters on Hollywood Boulevard. Chris, what do we know? Yes, uh, the Egyptian Theater has been around since the twenties. It was actually the, the the host of the very first movie premiere ever in Hollywood. You know, it has this this long legacy, and now Netflix is looking to buy it. And this news immediately uh, upset everyone on film Twitter, as far as I could see, because you know the the knee jerk reaction is like, oh God, Netflix, they're gonna come in and screw it up and uh you know there's there's some precedent for that even though i i'm not anti-netflix you know they're very much in it for themselves you know so they could in theory turn this into something bad but if you read the fine print it looks like it, it might actually work out um for one thing the egyptian theater is owned by uh cinematech and they're a nonprofit, and their their budget has been uh, dwindling a bit lately, as most nonprofits have uh, put up with for a time. And you know, this is going to come in and help Cinematech get back on their feet. Basically, it's going to give them a whole lot of money, and uh, it's not yeah. like Netflix is taking over entirely. Uh, Cinematech is still going to. It should be said that this is a theater that plays, uh, you know, older films. It doesn't play the new releases. They do have film festivals and stuff like that, but they're mostly playing like, you know, older classic movies. And usually when you see stuff like that, I, I feel like there's not like they're not selling out unless it's like a big film like, you know, a Jurassic Park or a Back to the Future kind of thing. So. So this right. is going to be a shot in the arm for them, I think. Right. And uh, what's going to happen basically is Netflix is going to program the weekday screenings and uh, Cinematech, uh, you know, the, the original owners of the Egyptian will be in charge of uh, weekend screenings and, you know, events. And also Netflix will likely use this theater now for their big premieres for their their own original films. And, you know, like I said, Netflix obviously is in this for themselves. They want to be taken seriously they want to be even bigger in the industry that they are now and a lot of people in the business as we've talked about in the past like steven spielberg still you know look down at netflix they think of them you know as nothing more than you know a streaming service and this is going to get them uh in their mind at least more clout because they're going to have their own theater they're going to be showing more theatrical screenings and they're hoping it'll it'll uh you know just help them in the long run yeah, and uh, Steven Spielberg, I think his name can be find, um, found on one of the plaques at the Egyptian Theater because he has donated a lot of money over the years. And uh, I think he actually uh, – his name is on one of the theaters there. So um, so I wonder what he feels about this, maybe conflicted. Uh, I'm also wondering for, you know, for someone like me who lives in L.A., does this mean that my Netflix subscription is going to get me into free movies theatrically? At the Egyptian. We, we don't know anything about this, do we, Chris? No, that that wasn't the story. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say no, that will not happen because <laughs> Netflix Netflix is, is all about that money. But you never know. Maybe they'll have some sort of discount. Who knows? Well, that is money. I am paying for the subscription. Yeah, but they want more money. They'd be getting more by you paying to also go to the theater. 
Yeah. Uh, Brad, I know that uh, one time you lived in L.A. and uh, you have gone to the Egyptian to see movies, right? Yeah, the uh, the Egyptian and then the American Cinematheque's other theater, The Arrow. Uh, it was really cool for me as somebody, especially who had just moved to L.A. and never really had a, a theater that was close enough for me to go to cool, you know, classic movie screenings. Um, even modern, you know, more modern recent screenings that had filmmaker Q and A's. Um, they sometimes they had sneak preview screenings. Sometimes they um, would showcase certain indies and and again have the filmmakers there. It was just a their, their schedule was always awesome and there was always something cool to see there um so it's i i hope that netflix kind of keeps that going i'm sure it'll spotlight more of their um movies as opposed to the kind of movies that the the egyptian used to show but um you know like chris said hopefully netflix being involved maybe allows american cinema tech to you know keep going strong and still do more of those cool kinds of screenings yeah and those theaters are some of the only theaters that show classics in 70 millimeter um nowadays I will say that the Egyptian, as is, is great as it is as a venue, it's like one of these classic Hollywood venues that uh, is kind of themed like, uh, I guess, the Egyptian period. Um, the the walls are not uh, the best. In, it, kind of like the Chinese theater, actually. It does not have the best sound because it's an older theater. But uh, I've always enjoyed going to it over the years, and especially they're like – more of marathon things like they would do like you know watch the three jurassic park films you know all in one day kind of thing uh i loved attending those so i'm i'm wondering if we're going to get less of that now that they're only going to be doing weekends uh and i'm also wondering you know like i said how this is going to affect uh me as a netflix subscriber do i get a discount do i get in free uh we'll have to wait to see what netflix plans on doing with that we'll keep you updated uh, let's move on to marvel because Avengers Endgame had the junket over the weekend. I mentioned this on the water cooler. And we have had a bunch of stories coming out about the future of Marvel. Uh, one of which is Marvel's Marvel has a plan for Phase 4. And from what I heard, actually, Brad, so I'm wondering if you can clarify this to me. I thought Feige said that they were abandoning all, all phases. The phases were going away. I mean, it's... I'm sure that they're not creating like a a specific uh, delineation between them in in the way that they used to, simply because it seems like the stories are more tying into each other than they did when they actually had distinct phases. Um, If anything, maybe they'll start focusing on the idea of a saga, since he's been talking about this first era of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the Infinity Saga now, since it all has led to this confrontation with Thanos and the fight over the Infinity Stones that will conclude with Endgame. Um, so if anything, maybe just for convenience sake, he, you know, we're talking about Phase 4 here. But either way, this is meant to be about the beginning of the next era of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What will happen after Avengers Endgame, which is supposed to be this, you know, big universe-changing uh, thing that will set it off in a, a new direction and end some stories and begin some new ones and, and all that jazz. And uh, apparently, behind the scenes, even though we haven't heard any official announcements about what movies will follow Endgame, Marvel already has a five-year plan in place set as to what they want to do following Avengers Endgame. Um, and this came about because uh, Feige was Kevin Feige was asked about when we might see the X-Men enter the Marvel Cinematic Universe, since they are now owned by Disney and Marvel Studios again after their acquisition of 20th Century Fox. And he's, uh, his response was, quote, 
it'll be a while. It's all just beginning, and the five-year plan that we've been working on, we were working on before any of that was set. So really, it's much more for us, less about specifics of when and where right now, and more just the comfort factor and nice it is that they're home, that they're all back. But it will be a very long time. So it doesn't sound like we'll be getting uh, the X-Men within that five-year window. There was no specific mention about Fantastic Four or Deadpool when the question was asked, so that remains to be opened. I think it would probably be easier to bring the Fantastic Four in during that window than the X-Men, since the idea of mutants being in the world would, would change, you know, really the um, a larger part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, not just uh, that. You have to you have to create this world where we are afraid of people with powers, and I feel like the people in the Marvel Universe right now are idolizing the people of powers, right? Like, they're, especially after whatever happens in Endgame, I'm sure that they're going to, um, you know, restore balance to the Force or, what, you know, whatever. The equivalent well, yeah, of that. And, and a, yeah, and a, and a lot of some of the more dramatic things that happened in the X-Men comics with regards to their interaction with, with humans who, you know, see them either as, as heroes or dangerous was kind of already done with Civil War and dealing with yeah. the... Uh, Sokovia Accords and whether or not superheroes need to be regulated because in you know in X-Men there's mutant registration and, and that kind of thing too so it's I think it's harder to bring them into the fray but though not impossible um, and then I'm sure Deadpool will kind of remain its own thing and he'll just keep making snarky jokes about you know being at Disney and being kind of outside of the normal MCU and that kind of thing it, he's much easier to to make work in this um, in this scenario but, yeah, so at the same time, even though Feige says it'll be a long time before we see these characters, you can't forget that Marvel has always had a long-term plan in place for their future movies. You know, there was a time when an Inhumans movie was always on their schedule, and they were going to make it for sure, and they kept saying that. And there was a time when Spider-Man wasn't a part of any of their plans for the Marvel Cinematic Universe because they didn't have the rights to them. But that ended up changing the whole scope of Civil War and their, you know, entire calendar, because now they have Spider-Man movies that they are releasing in conjunction with Sony. So even though the, these characters weren't part of their initial plan, because they weren't counting on the deal being finalized and them actually getting them, it doesn't mean that changes can't be made and that they won't appear sooner than anticipated. I also wonder, you know, by them saying they have a five-year plan for Phase 4, generally in the past, the phases for these films led up to an Avengers movie. Do you know what I mean? So, and generally we've had an Avengers movie every, like, what, three years or so? So, what does this mean it's going to be five years between Endgame and the next time we actually get a, you know, a massive team up Avengers film? I doubt it because I, the Avengers movies were also always part of their long term plan. So, I'm sure that we'll, we'll still get, you know, uh, and whatever the new, you know, form of the Avengers is, you know, before before that happens and sooner than we would think. Yeah. And I'm also wondering, like, do you think there's a way to do this where they set Deadpool and the X-Men and Fantastic Four in its own other universe and somehow eventually those universe, those multiverses, which they've done in the comics, collide? Like, is is that anything... Is that possible to be done on, like, the mainstream level? I feel like that's, like, kind of nerdy comic book stuff at this point still. I mean, anything is possible at this point, you know? I mean, I feel like audiences were, were able to understand what was going on with X-Men Days of Future Past, you know, which was something that incorporated two different casts from two different X-Men franchises, into the same, you know, with with time travel. 
So I and, and since people are following the Marvel Cinematic Universe so closely now, I don't think that it's unreasonable for them people to understand that there is a parallel universe where you know superheroes are different and the Avengers don't exist and that kind of thing. So it's not, I don't think anything is impossible at this point. Marvel has proven that they know how to introduce a lot of things that might have initially felt weird and risky for studios to do with such lucrative franchises. But you know if they've shown that they can create this big overarching you know, interconnected 22 film universe. I don't think that the task of creating another universe that can merge with this one is, you know, something that they uh, couldn't do. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that people would have known who Thanos is? And like now he's like such a huge iconic character. Okay, let's move on to Chris Nolan, his new movie. We don't know much about it at all, but uh, Robert Pattinson has been uh, talking about it in press. Uh, Chris, what has he said about Christopher Nolan's next film? Uh, Robert Pattinson, he's he's remaining vague because I'm sure if he he wasn't Christopher Nolan, we'd be very angry with him. But uh, the latest he said on the Nolan movie is, uh, first of all, he called the script, uh, quote unquote, crazy. In fact, he said it's the craziest thing he's seen in years, which... Uh, if you've seen his recent film, uh, High Life, that actually says a lot because High Life is really, really weird. So if this film is somehow crazier, uh, I will be very impressed. I don't know if that's even possible. Uh, but beyond that, he also added um, that the film itself is, quote, the length of three movies. Now, wait, wait. So, Chris, is that the, th- the length of three normal movies or the length of three Nolan movies? He doesn't specify, and there's a lot of... Or is he talking about how much it actually covers ground? Like, not even, like, the actual length, but, like... Yeah, I'm I'm guessing he's not saying this is a six-plus-hour movie, but rather he's saying there's so much uh, material in this movie. This movie is so jam-packed with ideas that there's enough to you know, break off into three separate movies. That's my guess, unless he is being literal and this is a six-plus-hour movie, which... Uh, I don't think will happen. <laughs> I hope Or not. maybe Christopher Nolan is only giving himself a certain finite amount of film to shoot on. And that's the, <laughs> it's the physical length of three movies. I I don't think so. That, 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 that's probably that, that's probably a worse theory than the Ant-Man Thanos theory, Brad. I disagree. I think that this is going to come out in my favor and you will all be apologizing to me. <laughs> Um, but I, I think it's safe to say that we're all excited for Christopher Nolan's next film or any of his next films. Uh, you know, whenever a Christopher Nolan film comes out, uh, it's a good time to be a film fan. And, I'm, uh, you know, I, I wish we knew more. But I know, you know, Chris Nolan has that kind of mystery box, the same mystery box that J.J. Abrams has. Um, let's move on. Let, let's, we're talking about comic book stuff. James Gunn is directing The Suicide Squad. This is... A sequel, a reboot. We we don't know. You know, some characters are being recast, some are not. Chris, what is going on here? We really don't know. Like you said, when when word of this first came out, it was it was accompanied by a rumor that James Gunn would more or less be sort of rebooting everything. But s- slowly, they've been revealing a lot of the original characters from the first movie are coming back. Like Captain Boomerang is coming back and uh, Deadshot was supposed to return, but Will Smith couldn't do it. At which point, uh, Idris Elba was cast to replace him. But now it's been revealed that while Idris Elba is still in the movie, he's no longer playing Deadshot because 
the producers are hoping that if they, you know, they someday make Suicide Squad three and they want to bring Deadshot back, they can get Will Smith to do it again. Like they apparently, you know, they they think Will Smith is irreplaceable and they'd rather keep the door open to him. So this way, in a way, uh, everyone sort of wins. You know, Idris Elba still gets to be in the movie, and Will Smith, if he ever wants to come back and do Suicide Squad three. He can, but we, uh, but now we don't know who Isher's Elba is playing though. So that's the other thing. Are, are there anybody else, any actors reprising their roles? Uh, well, uh, Jai Courtney is coming back as Captain Boomerang. Margot Robbie is expected to come back, although we haven't gotten confirmation on that yet. But also uh, Viola Davis is returning as Amanda Waller. And uh, I'm happy about that because Viola Davis is a great actress, but she was given like the worst possible material to work with in suicide squad so i'm really excited to see her work with what i'm just going to assume is a better script because james gunn is a better writer so uh i'm looking forward to at least you know that much but we'll have to see about the rest of it and james gunn has been like instagram storing like some kind of like uh covers from the comics it seems like he's hinting towards certain aspects of what he's going with this film but i i feel like it's tough for us to speculate since we haven't uh, you know, we haven't read all the Suicide Squad comic books, but what uh, are the odds that Slipknot is going to come back? Because I feel like there's probably going to need needs to be something that has to be climbed at some point. Uh, I don't know. I hope he's back. He can. He is the man who can climb anything. So yeah, and I imagine if they bring him back, he would probably have some kind of like cybernetic enhancement, so his climbing can only get better. Yeah, he has like a robot head now. That would be amazing. Uh, okay. Slipbot. we've gone off the rails guys okay our final story revolves around avengers endgame uh it isn't is it a spoiler like how should we give a warning for this story because i mean it, it, it it's chris evans is doing press to promote avengers endgame the, the Russos, Disney as a whole, all the people doing press are not giving away any information involving plot details for Avengers Endgame. But the story does talk about the possible, you know, endpoints of, of, of this movie. So if, if you don't want to hear that, um, don't listen. But obviously, we none of us have seen the movie. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the movie. Uh, so you have been warned. Uh, Brad, tell us what Chris Evans told us or has revealed about Captain America's arc in Avengers Endgame. At the end of of Avengers Endgame, Captain America will have murdered everybody. That's it. The dark turn. But here we are. Well, I do think Kevin Feige did say that no one has predicted the end of Avengers Endgame, but I don't think that's the ending. Exactly. So here we are again, where I will be receiving another apology <laughs> for my my bold ideas. I uh, know. Um, so Chris, during the Avengers Endgame press conference, um, Chris Evans basically, you know, being as vague as he could, but also trying to give, you know, something that was tantamount to a somewhat of an answer as opposed to just a lot of tap dancing, said that that this movie would essentially complete Captain America's uh, character arc. Um, and he said he, he started to continue and said the movie does provide kind of an ending to a lot of, and then Joe Russo cut him off with like a game show buzzer sound going, eh, and like everyone got a good laugh out of it. And, uh, then Evans kind of pulled back and said, there's a 22 fil- film tapestry, you know, he's been through so much. Uh, and then he was continuing a little bit and <laughs> John Favreau just stopped him and said, let's just talk about Scott Pilgrim, which got <laughs> Brie Larson all excited. <laughs> so <laughs> 
Um, so what we're looking at here is, you know, this is something that everyone has assumed essentially because we there was a, you know, a story a while back about how Chris Evans' contract was up with Avengers Endgame and he wasn't signed on to do any more movies at Marvel Studios. So this being the end of Captain America's arc really just makes sense. But the the big question that everyone has is exactly how is that arc completed? Is this something where uh, he dies, you know, sacrificing himself to save everyone and kill Thanos? Is it something where he gets some kind of ending where he gets to ride off into the sunset? You know, does, is there is there a happy ending for Captain America? Which I feel like Evans kind of hints at in a way because he started to talk about how Captain America has been through so much. And so if you're saying something like that, then you're almost implying, you know, after he's been through this much, like, you know, can't he catch a break? Is there some way that, you know, he can finally be okay and like have a life where he's not just trying to save people or defend something or, or and stand for something? Like, can he just go on and have a happy ending? Is it possible? I feel like Endgame has to, for him has to end one of two ways. In the climactic moment, he needs to either sacrifice himself for the team and die or somehow he's going to get sent back in time and reunite with uh peggy like and i've theorized that in the past on this podcast like do you see any do either of you guys see any other possible end for captain america i i really think that that second one you said the the, he goes back in time and i'm garrett i almost positive it's going to be a thing where he, he's going to like show up and ask her to dance because they have that whole thing where they're supposed to go on a date or something like that. So I think that's it. literally what's going to happen. But beyond that, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, I'm, that would make it, me so happy. That would be great. But my I, it just thinking about that ending makes me th- like start. It turns the time travel part of my brain on and makes me wonder like how exactly that works. And since we don't necessarily know how the Avengers are intending to to fix things once they get the Infinity Stone and stuff like that, if it actually involves time travel or anything like that. How, you know, how does Captain America go back to that moment in time to do that and not affect future wait, wait, events? Wait you know? a second. He goes back in time to that moment, and now that splits off the universe in two different directions. One where the X-Men happened and one where they didn't. They See, there you go. Now we just we yeah. just fixed it. Yeah. So there, there you have it. I think Feige's been lying to us this whole time. They, they have a complete plan of how to use the X-Men. It involves Captain America. Or not. All right. Probably not. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's uh, Slash Film Daily. Brad, where can people find more of your work online? Always on SlashFilm.com, on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton, and my own podcast, Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. Chris, where can we find you? Uh, I'm at SlashHome.com, and you can find me on Twitter at CEvangelista413. And you can find me at SlashHome on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashHome.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, Slash Home Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashHome.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.